Well, good morning. Uh, it's great to see everybody here this morning. Uh, and I want to also make sure that I say good morning to everybody that's home today. We have quite a number who uh, are uh, sick and uh, taking precautions to stay at home. Thank you for doing that. Those of you that are watching from home, we can't wait to see you again very soon, hopefully next week. And, uh, but thank you for, for caring for the body here and uh, staying home and, and, and until you get better. And it's good to see who is here and healthy. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're healthy. Hope that you stay that way. And uh, anyway, it's great to hear. Thank you, worship team, for a great worship set this morning. Bringing us up in that last song, it was just oh, wonderful. It's great to worship the Lord in an ever-changing world, but God doesn't change. And that's really great to, to sing that and to know that uh, he finds us in Christ now and he'll bring us home in Christ. And that's a great hope. And uh, we find ourselves continuing to go through the book of Hebrews, and we are in the 11th chapter of Hebrews today. Well, to begin with, and then we'll go back to Judges. But in the 11th chapter of Hebrews, uh, which is called God's Hall of Faith or Faith's Hall of Fame, and the Lord uh, sovereignly picks out different individuals in Scripture who model faith. And we've gone through quite a number of them, and Abraham, Moses, and just a, uh, Rahab, and a number of them. And last week we started with Gideon, and if you know the story of Gideon, you knew, well, probably you knew that I couldn't do that in one week. It's just too much there. And so we started with part one, which I'll review here in a moment. But uh, I want to just read to you uh, verse 32 and verse, the end of verse 34 in Hebrews 11, and then we'll go back to Judges chapter 6 and 7. It says in verse 32, Hebrews 11, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon. And then down to verse 34, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. And that describes Gideon uh, today. So uh, this week I read uh, about one person who was commenting on the story of Gideon. And this person said that, in their opinion, it was the greatest victory, the, the victory that Gideon had over the Midianites, that was the greatest victory that's ever occurred in human history. Greatest in, whether it was, we're talking military victories or like a victory in the realm of sports or science or technology, this person said, this is the greatest victory ever simply because of the odds that were against Gideon being victorious. The odds were so against him that it made us the greatest, made the victory they had the greatest one in all of history. And as we'll see, um, given the odds against Gideon, uh, this might be true. I'll, I'll share with you what the odds were uh, here and down the line here of this message. But just because it, it's this, this huge, enormous, against all odds victory doesn't mean that it's not applicable to you and I as believers because, as you heard last week and then you've been hearing, uh, we, as residents of planet Earth, and I can speak for myself in this, I'm not just saying it out to you, we constantly run into situations where, we, where we're facing difficult odds. Sometimes impossible-looking, overwhelming odds, tough circumstances, and we're constantly in a situation where we wonder, how am I going to deal with this? How am I actually going to get through this? And how am I actually going to rise out of this? And, and is there going to be a victory for me? Am I going to resolve? Is this going to be resolved? And, and as I've mentioned before, uh, these areas can include all, all kinds of areas. Lots of areas that I won't even mention right now, but family or a financial situation, uh, a relationship or relationships, uh, difficulties in general, uh, an unclear future, a desperate need, a need for wisdom or guidance, whatever it is, you're kind of facing this thing that looms over you and you wonder, I feel like the odds are really against me in this particular situation and I don't know what to do about it or I just don't feel like I'm gonna be able to, to have victory. And um, last week in chapter six in, uh, of Judges, from verses one through 24, we found out in part one of the story of Gideon, 
And again, the title is How to Face Overwhelming Odds with Faith and Win, the story of Gideon. And we found out in part one that if we're gonna face overwhelming odds with faith and win, if we're really gonna deal with these conundrums, these bailiwicks, these difficult spots that we get ourselves into on a regular basis, and I emphasize regular because they are regular. If we're gonna do that, number one, this is from last week, we need to deal with any sin that God is bringing our attention to that blocks the flow of faith. And I'm not saying that you have some hidden sin that you have to peel back the layer of the onion and find that hidden sin. And once you find that hidden sin, then everything's gonna go fine after you confess it. But there sometimes is something that resides in our life, whether it's an attitude or an action, that God is saying, I really, at this point in your Christian life, want you to deal with this, this attitude, this action. And until you deal with it, you're not gonna get the, f- the full flow of victory in your life that I wanna give you. And you, in order for you to exercise faith in me to have that victory, you have to deal with this particular area at this time of your life as a Christian. And so that's the first one. And then we talked about the second thing, if we're gonna face overwhelming odds with faith, and win, we need to realize that prayer clears the way for faith to begin. Prayer clears the way for faith to begin. There's something about prayer with God that tends to clear the deck of the interference in our lives and push us through to victory uh, when we're facing overwhelming odds. And until we, got, until we give that block of time, and I'm not gonna put a number on it, until we get, give God that block of time in just sincere and sometimes desperate but honest prayer, he's gonna keep that, that, that wall up because he wants us to go to him in prayer to uh, develop a deeper intimacy with him and dependence on him. And then the third thing we talked about if we're gonna face overwhelming odds with faith and win, we need to remember God's past acts of faithfulness. And it's so easy, and I'm speaking from personal experience on this, it's so easy to forget, you, you guys have heard me say this multiple times, it's so easy to forget the last time God came through for us. It's, our memories are so bad. And not just because some of us are getting older, okay? But we just forget what God has done for us in emergency after emergency after emergency after emergency. But if we can remember every time he's come through for us, it gives us faith to believe that he will help us overcome difficult odds in our lives. It just... It inspires our faith again, and we need faith to trust God. That's our part in dealing with overwhelming odds. And then fourth, we talked about from the story of Gideon, we need to trust that in the presence of a God who cares about us and who's all-powerful. We need to trust in the presence that God is present with us, and he's a caring God, and he's an almighty God. And those all came out of chapter six, verses one through 24. Now today, in part two of how to face overwhelming odds with faith and win, the story of Gideon, we're gonna look at the remaining four, the remaining four uh, 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 points that we need to really understand is how to face overwhelming odds with faith and win. Now I'm gonna go to number five here of eight, and it says in the scriptures, I believe that we need to remember that if we're gonna really have God's help in dealing with uh, our, um, I call them Goliaths, I call them walls, because I think of Jericho, I call them Midianites, because that's what they're here for, uh, to show us, but we need to tear down any idols that God tells us to. We need to tear down any idols that God tells us to. And sometimes we think of idols as something way back when and they're like these stone gargoyles or weird snakes or objects that people worshiped and they did and they do here. But I I wanna talk about idols and what I wanna do is differentiate between an idol and a sin. An idol and a sin. Worshiping idols is a sin, but I wanna describe uh, a little bit w- uh, to differentiate between sin and an idol in a moment. But let's look at the idol, what it was here. Because Gideon tore down an idol and it blasted open uh, the pathway to an incredible victory. So let's look here at verse 25 and 20, 
6 and the first part of 27 in Judges 6. That's, <clears throat> excuse me, that same night the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal. Baal was a bad idol. And cut down the Asherah pole, Ashereth was a bad idol. False, evil, sick, violent, cultic, hmm, you get in the drift, they were bad idols, okay. And cut it down uh, beside it, and then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down. I love that. Cut the, cut the wood pole down and use it for what? For, uh, to offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. So the, the wood from the false altar was burned to give a proper sacrifice to the Lord. Okay, now, before I get back to this uh, tearing down of the idol, I want to define what an idol is. An idol can be bad or it can be good. It can be a bad thing or it can be a good thing. Now I'm going to explain what I mean by that. But an idol, just a good definition of an idol for those of us that have not heard this before, an idol in our lives as Christians is anything that replaces the authority of God with a humanly devised substitute. Anything that replaces the authority of God with a humanly devised substitute, good or bad. And uh, if you can't say amen, just say ouch, okay, by the time I'm done here. Okay, because I'm gonna mention some idols that people don't normally think as idols. Okay, but they can be. Well, anyway, so an idol is something that we put between ourselves and God. Now, that could be a good thing in, in itself. It could be a, your career. It could be your job or work. It can be uh, sports. It can be your hobby. It can be recreation. Uh, it can be now. It can be a relationship. Now I'm, I know I don't want to. It can be your kids, or your spouse, or your family, or you know. Surprisingly enough, uh, an idol can be ministry. Did you know that? I know so many guys, and we're older now. Guys that I went to seminary with and, and served on staff before who after years and years they, they realized that ministry became their God. Isn't that funny how you can be serving the Lord but it can turn into an idol? And that can be any area of ministry but pastors do that all the time. And they're actually uh, putting ministry above everything else. They're replacing the authority of God with a humanly devised substitute. That's where they get their strokes, that's where they get their pats on the back, that's where they get their punches in the eye. I mean, uh, they get their, um, but they turn it into an idol. One of my best friends finally realized that and it turned his whole life around in a good way. Now they can be bad, they can be attitudes, sinful attitudes, uh, hatred, unforgiveness, bitterness, jealousy, pride. Um, an idol can be unforgiveness. Uh, they can be evil behavior, rage, jealousy, um, uh, some type of violent behavior, sexual immorality, whatever it is, we can have idols like that, okay? And when they're unpurged or unbroken, they quench the Holy Spirit and they diminish our ability to trust God when we hit those... Um, Overwhelming odds. Because if we don't have faith, which is our part, in God's working in our lives when we have to deal with these problems, uh, then we won't get very far. And so idolatry, whether it's good things or bad, is replacing the authority of God, then our faith can't flourish. It diminishes our faith, which diminishes our trust in God, which diminishes God's ability, if you will, to work in our situation, okay? And, 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 and make no mistake, tearing down our idols, whether, uh, and putting God back into first place, 
although it can be difficult and, and, and it'll take courage, um, will open up huge uh, pathways for God to deal with our uh, overwhelming odds. You know, uh, we won't read it all, but uh, when uh, a Gideon obeyed God to tear down these uh, idols, the whole town came against him. They said, what are you doing? Fortunately, his father said, just deal with it. He's going to do what he needs to do. And if, and if, you're, I, if your false gods can rescue you, let him rescue you. But I'm going to stand by my son. But, but he, really, he really was opposed for that. And we're, when we try to tear down our, our idols, we're opposed too. The world opposes us, the flesh opposes us, and the devil opposes us. Okay? It takes discipline to tear down an idol because it could be good in, in itself. Or it's a bad thing that has not gone, it's gone from a toehold to a foothold to a stronghold and it's, it's tough to pull up the roots of that idol. I don't know what it is. I'll let the Holy Spirit handle you this morning. But if you want to overcome difficult odds or difficult circumstances, then you need to uh, um, tear down the idols that God is talking to you about. Anything that replaces the authority of God with a humanly devised substitute. Now, here's the... I want to be positive now. Because if you go up to verse 34 in chapter 6... Look what happens when he tears the idol down. What happens in verse 34? Is it behind me? What happens in verse 34? You're so scared to answer, I know. I get it. Let me read it. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. I, I, always, I love to see these connections. You tear down your idols, the Spirit comes down upon you, or as in the, the case of a believer, it fills us and it anoints us, and it gives us courage for what we're doing. I just love that. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abiezrites to follow him. And he sent messengers to Manasseh, calling to arms, and also into Asher and Zebulun and Naphtali, so that they went up to meet him, and he's just like, okay, let's do it, you guys. It's got a renewed energy. And that's what happens when we obey God and tear down our idols, okay? Someone said, our own house must be set in order for us to deal with our overwhelming odds with faith and win. Our own house must be set in order for us to deal with our overwhelming odds with faith and win. So I would just say, what, what area of house cleaning do you need to take to open up the channels for the Holy Spirit to come down on you and fill you with strength as you deal with some difficult circumstances and situations. Let's go to number two, or, or number uh, six of eight, um, to face overwhelming odds with faith and win. We need to not be afraid to ask God for a pledge of assurance. To not be afraid to ask God for a pledge of assurance. And this, we come to the famous fleece of Gideon. And it's so famous that people use uh, an idiom that they probably don't even know where it came from. Oh, they, I'm just putting out a fleece to see what'll happen. They don't even know that it came from here. It's so famous. But anyway, it does. And in verse 36, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the dry ground is dry, then I will sh know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day and he squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. Now, here's the question that comes up on this whole thing. Was that a good thing that Gideon did or a bad thing? Somebody said, good. Do we got any bads here? There's a couple bads. 
I, one writer said it's bad. What he did was wrong. He said this. He said, it showed a lack of trust on Gideon's part. The fr- and I don't know. I better be careful here. I don't want to make fun of this guy. But he says, the phrase putting out the fleas is a familiar one in Christian circles. It means asking God to guide us in a decision by fulfilling some condition that we lay down. Putting out the fleece is not a biblical method for determining the will of God. Rather, it's an approach used by people like Gideon who lack the faith to trust God to do what he said he would do. Twice Gideon reminded God of what he had said, and twice Gideon asked God to reaffirm his promise with a miracle. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just share my, my feelings here. I, I, I don't think setting out the fleece was all that bad of a thing. You know, I mean, did, do you see anywhere here where God scolded him for that? Gideon? You don't trust me perfectly? What are you doing putting a fleece out there? Bad boy. I don't see that here. I don't, you know, how many of you, honestly, when you face the kind of odds that Gideon face, is facing here, or just the kind of odds that we face with family, or conflict, or finances, or... Or, or difficulties or confusion or uh, we, we, we don't know what to do. We, we're making a decision and we're confused. How many of you have, at that moment, perfect faith in God? Yeah, and, and I'm far from perfect. And here's what I think. I think that it's okay to ask God for specific signs and circumstances for his specific guidance. I just do. I don't think he finds fault with us to do that. God, he, he shows no displeasure here. He's more than willing to help Christians who struggle about what to do to overcome difficult odds and wins so that their faith may be continually strengthened. God wants to stimulate our faith with specific guidance. We'll see that up in chapter seven here in a moment. It's, it's really wonderful. I think of James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And God will give generously without finding fault if we trust him. And so when I'm talking about, my, here, my fleeces are this. This is what my fleeces are. I don't know what your fleeces are. My fleeces are circumstances, right? God, show me through circumstances what I am to do against these difficult odds or tough circumstances. Show me your timing, that's my second fleece. And my third fleece that I love and it works if I watch out for God is, Lord, open and close the doors to this situation. And if it's a yay, open the door. And if it's a nay, shut the door. Had a situation like that just the other night. And I, you, my wife's giggling because she knows what it is. But um, I'm not going to tell you what it is because I feel kind of silly. But I didn't know what to do. I had two alternatives. And I... I said, God, I, I, I don't, I just, I'm not sure what to do about this. And I said, basically, I said, open or close the door. And uh, wonderfully enough, he closed the door. And the other alternative turned out to be great. Well, at, they don't usually happen that fast, but, but I'm just saying that I think it's okay to lay out a fleece. Okay, it's all right. Don't feel bad. Okay. And, uh, um, and we need to do that because we need to, uh, seek God's guidance when we're facing difficult odds and not just plow our th- way through it, which brings me to the third point here. And that is if we're going to overcome uh, difficult odds, if we are going to deal with overwhelming odds or impossible-looking odds, or we feel they're impossible, or just uh, tough circumstances, thirdly, not just tear down our idols or ask for a specific pledge of assurance, but we need to depend on God's strength and not our own. And this is, you know what, this is a chapter that just screams that out. And it's a great reminder, okay? So we need to depend on God's strength and not our own. And in the seventh chapter, it begins by God wanting to reduce the Israelite army and make the odds against the Israelites even worse. That's funny. I mean, it was already 10,000 against 135,000, I think it was. And that's, that's pretty bad odds. Yeah, you know, if you take t- an army of 10,000 against an army of 135,000, you can pretty much tell who's going to win. But God says, no, you have too many. You know, we're going to take that number down. 
It's one of the fun parts of the story of Gideon. And we read it in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 7. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Uh, announce thou to the people, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 left while 10,000 remained. And I can just see Gideon standing there going, What, what are you doing? Um, in his book, Hearts of Iron, Feet of Clay, Gary Inrig states, You cannot be too small for God to use, but you can be too big. You can't be too small for God to lose, but you can be too big. Think about it, all right? He goes on. I, th I think he had makes a few other good points. God frequently trims our resources to get us to depend entirely on him. Um, he, you know what he uses? Oh, boy. I'm, I'm going to stop preaching and start meddling, okay? Is that right? He uses personality defects. I almost choke up saying that. Because all of us have those defects in our personality that just keep us from achieving what we want. Can I get a very humble amen? amen. And we feel it, don't we? Yeah, we do, we feel it. There I go again. You know? He'll use personality defects. He'll use sickness sometimes, financial reversal, family conflicts other difficulties to cause us to turn our lives over to God. And we're going, how come you hate me? And he's going, man, I love you. And that's why I'm doing this. So you depend on me. Inrig continues, unlike popular psychologists, God does not propose that we should believe in ourselves. Our narcissistic society celebrates self-reliance, but God strips us bare, forcing us to recognize our frailty and inadequacy. Um, I wish somebody would have told me that before I became a Christian so I didn't become a Christian. No, I'm just kidding. Um, boy, oh boy, did I ever find that out. I, I, you know, I have to laugh at that one track that says, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I'm like, where is that wonderful plan? I just, no, it is a wonderful plan and I wouldn't trade my Christian life for anything. But they conveniently didn't tell me about all the breaking that I was going to experience, right? Anyway. Um, God shows us, I didn't, I, I don't know if I read this or not, but God shows us that human resources are insufficient for the battles we face. God then teaches us the lesson of dependence, which results in confidence. Paul understood this when he affirmed, I can do all things through, through Christ who, what? Strengthens me, Philippians 4.13. With God's power, Gideon was able to go boldly where no Jew had gone before. God loves to show himself strong when we feel weak. He delights in the difficult, but he specializes in the impossible. Jesus said, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And so, you know, when I read the, uh, uh, the beginning verses of, uh, of this message in Hebrews eleven thirty two, I just want to read them again. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon and the prophets, whose weakness was turned to strength, who became powerful in battle and routed armies. Okay. Now, how did he reduce the army? Well, let's go to that. This is fun. Um, first, he said, for those who tremble in fear, they can leave. And 22,000 people left. And it says here in that verse, it says, um, where am I? Seven, seven verse three, thank you. Um, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave. And literally in the Hebrew, turn back and leave me, means you can uh, go home to mommy. That's what it means. No, I'm just kidding. It doesn't mean that. But they were scared, right? And uh, they, God didn't want scared people in battle because he knew fear spreads. And so he said, let them go. Let 22,000 go. I can, I can just, I can feel Gideon just kind of going, oh, man. Anyway. And then the next thing God does is, you still got too many. 
22,000 left, but was, that leaves whatever. And uh, the Lord said, uh, there's, there's another way. I'm going to take you down to 300 people. And I'm going to divide the lappers from the drinkers. Okay? Look at verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water, and the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. Now, now, now he defines what a lapper is. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouth. So they're here at the water, and they're going like this. Their heads are up. They're lapping. This is what God, how God defines lapping. You know, I think like that. But he's, this is what he means by lapping. Hand to, hand to mouth. And then he says, um, and all the rest got down on their knees to drink. So they're on their knees and their faces are in the water and they're sucking up the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go, each to his own place. And so Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the others. 300 people. 300 people fighting 135,000 people. So you can see why that guy said at the introduction, these are pretty tough odds. Four, the odds are 450 to 1. That's, that's really big odds. And I, you know what? You, be, you might have come in here this morning and said, you know, I got a 450 to 1. I got a relationship that's just killing me. And I don't know what to do. I've got some circumstances that are just so torturing me. It's a 450 to 1, Mitch. I've got some emotions that are so on top of me. It's 450 to 1. I've got some financial struggles that are so... I just don't know how I'm going to get out from under this. And it's a 450 to 1. We got 450 to 1s all the time. Or at least it feels like that. God says, doesn't matter, I'm still going to work. And the point is this. God wants us to be weak enough, not strong enough, for him to work through us. He wants us weak enough to work through us. And that's, that's just the opposite of the world we live in and the flesh that, that we're clothed with. It's the opposite of that. But that's what God wants. You know, when Paul went to the Corinthians, he said, I come to you in weakness, fear, and much trembling. My message in preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but a, a filling of the Holy Spirit's power. That it might be God speaking to you, not me. Paul knew the value of weakness. Okay? It's true for every ministry. We, we, we shouldn't ask ourselves, am I strong enough to do ministry? We should ask ourselves, are, am I weak enough to do ministry? I have to ask myself that every week when I step into the pulpit. Not, am I strong enough to do a, a sermon? Am I weak enough to preach a sermon so that God can preach it through me? It's a battle. All the way up to the minute I sit here. Am I weak enough? Am I weak enough? Am I weak enough? You know, that's, that's for all of life. Am I weak enough to be a good husband? Am I weak enough to be a good wife? Am I weak enough to be a good middle schooler or high schooler? Am I weak enough to go to my job site or my workplace and, and, and uh, serve God there? Am I weak enough? Am I weak enough at home as I parent? Am I weak enough as a child to my parent? Am I weak enough? Because when we are weak, we are strong. That's what Paul said, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. For when I am weak, I am strong. And that's why God takes our resources down to the nub so he can work through us. It's a tough lesson to learn. It's a lifelong lesson. Well, I'll put it this way. Rob Lehi, the editor of a, a site called Bible Helps, puts it this way. God frequently cuts down on our resources in order that we might depend entirely on him. Sometimes the Lord sends sickness, other times financial reverses and difficulties of one kind or another to train us to solely rely on his power. Hudson Taylor, a pioneer missionary in China, firmly believed that God knew his needs and that he would meet them. On one occasion, Taylor had only 87 cents left and he wrote to a friend saying, we have this and all God's promises too. And Gideon, was, was, he was weak right now. 
And his weakness made him ready to get help from God. Because this army was tiny, but he was, he was willing to, to listen to God. And he does so in verse 9. I'm not going to read it, but he heard from God in the night. And I think he was in prayer. And I think he was saying, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do this with 300 guys, but I, I trust you in faith. I trust you in faith. And uh, he allowed God to have his way with him. And then something really, really cool happens. He says, Gideon, I want you to go down to the Midianite camp and kind of go stand outside that camp and I'm going to give something to you. And that's what happens. He goes down with another guy and he goes to the edge of the Midianite camp and listen to what happens in verse 13. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. So he's listening to these two Midianites talking. I have a dream, he was saying. Now remember, this is the result of Gideon's weakness, not his strength. I have a dream, had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp, and it struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. And his friend responded, this could be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Now, now look at Gideon's reaction. It's really funny. Fun, I shouldn't say funny, but fun. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. And he returned to the camp, and he called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands, dividing the three... Well, I'll stop right there. I mean, he's just jazzed and, and stoked. Why? Because he gave it to the Lord. He became utterly dependent and weak, and he prayed. And the next thing that happened was God met him in a profound way. And the, and, 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 and the, when we, the, most, the times when we've experienced God in the profoundest way is when we're the weakest. Don't lose this. Whatever you're facing, weakness is your strength. Because then when you, pro- when you uh, proclaim your weakness to the Lord, the Lord will meet you. And you know what, everybody? What we need is when we're, when we're struggling and dealing with stuff, we need an encounter with God. An encounter with God is, is more valuable than anything else in, in life. And I don't, we don't have time to do this because I've got to get to this last point here, but an encounter with God, you, you look at Abraham, you look at Moses, you look at David, you look at the Apostle Paul, um, and in, when they had an encounter with God, they just, they, they, they had renewed strength to deal with their situation. And if we're going to face impossible, difficult, overwhelming odds and circumstances, we need an encounter with God, and God is more than happy to give us an encounter with him if we'll depend on his strength and not our own. Okay? So uh, let's go to the last one here because this is when it all comes to dovetails together. Um, To face overwhelming odds with faith, because we must have faith to trust him. To face overwhelming odds with faith and when we need to finally submit to God's strategy, not our own. Not just submit to God for his strength, but God has a certain strategy for us to resolve this stuff. God has a, a pre-planned, are you ready for this? Plea, pre-planned, or pre-planned, either way, if, however you want to take that. A pre, came in hard, first date with my new teeth, I'm sorry. Um, a pre-planned strategy to deal with your needs. Think of it a pre-planned strategy. You say, wow, isn't that wonderful? It sure is. It's a wonderful thing to know that God has a pre-planned strategy and a a pre-planned timing to resolve your difficult circumstances. Okay, so let's see what happens here, okay? And, 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 And really, we need to hear this because when we try to work out of our overwhelming uh, odds, with our wisdom and strategy, we're just going to defeat ourselves. That's all that's going to happen. But God wants to give us specific instructions and steps so we can have the victory. And look what happens here. Gideon is told 
to divide the 300 soldiers into three divisions in verse 16. And in faith, Gideon does what God says. He divides the 300 into three divisions. And each, well, I should read this. I'll just say it and then we'll read it. Each one of the soldiers is given a trumpet, a jar, and a torch. And then all of them would be used all at once, okay? Let's look at that, 16 through 21. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed the trumpets and empty jars into the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get, I mean, think how specific this is. You know Gideon got this from the Holy Spirit. Watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. And when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. And just as they had, after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow. And they shouted, a sword uh, for the Lord and for Gideon. And while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. Now, to give a soldier a trumpet, a jar, and a torch. Can you imagine that? Like a basic training at, uh, you know, like today in like the Marines. Do we have any ex-Marines here? Ex-Army? Navy? Okay, we got... Um, they're done with basic camp uh, training and they've learned how to shoot rifles and machine guns and bazookas and all that. And at the end, on the graduation day, they're handed a, a torch, a jar, and a trumpet. See how ridiculous that is? But that's, God, that's God's way of making his own strategy and it and, and, and doesn't matter what the odds are. We follow that strategy, something's going to happen. And... Uh, that's just exactly what happened. And confused, the Midianites panic in fear and turn on each other and flee. Verse 22. When the 300, med, 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp uh, to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth Shetah towards Zererah, as far as the border of Abel Mehola near Tabith. The Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out. I practiced those names this week because I didn't want to mess up, okay? So, um, and they all pursued the Midianites. And they all pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. So all of the men of Ephraim were called out and they took the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They also captured two of, of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb, and they killed Oreb and at the rock of they killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb. Now listen to this, because I'm coming back to this at the end here. And Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. Now I turn to someone much more educated than I am about this. Uh, um, to comment on this, a commentator that said, several factors regarding the ancient Near East warfare should be noted when interpreting this incident. As a normal custom in those days, armies rarely fought at night. When an army did engage in battle at night, only a minority of men carried torches in order to light up the battlefield. In addition, only a certain number of men would carry and blow trumpets during the conflict. Therefore, when the Midianites awoke to the sight of 300 torches and the sound of 300 trumpets blaring at them from every conceivable direction and jars breaking, they could only assume that thousands upon thousands upon thousands were attacking them. In their unpreparedness and confusion, they hastily began attacking each other in the dark, not knowing who was friend or foe. The Jewish soldiers held their positions, staying a safe distance from the deadly chaos before them, and and using soldiers held in reverse, Gideon seals off the enemy escape route eastward down the valley and over the Jordan, and his troops capture and kill two enemy officers, Oreb and Zeb. 
So the enemy's leaders are captured and beheaded and culminating in astounding victory. And you think, wow, that's a really great, oh, Gideon, the story of Gideon. You know, we're all Gideons, come on. We're all Gideons. There's not one of you here, including myself, that's not a Gideon this morning. You all are, because we all face those overwhelming odds, those difficult odds, those stressful and scary circumstances when when stuff is not resolved. And we so want it resolved, but we just, it it just doesn't seem to be happening. Or we just are scared, and it's okay to admit we're scared. I get scared on a regular basis. You can call me Pastor Scaredy Cat if you want to. Feel free to do that. Well, I get I get nervous about things, and, and sometimes I, it's, I'm fearful. You know, I'm just admitting that you know, can I face on a regular basis things that, and I'm getting better, but it, you know, slowly, but that just intimidate. I'm learning to be a, a Gideon really slow, but we all are Gideons. All of us, every one of you, is a Gideon. So I want to conclude with four thoughts here. Four thoughts that I I hope you'll take with you in this great story because we are him and God gave him to us and that's why I love these character studies, right? Because we study Gideon and next week Barak and we're gonna look at David. We're all those guys because we're human. Okay, four closing thoughts here. Um, If you're facing some difficult or overwhelming odds or tough or confusing circumstances, I want you to note four things. Number one, now listen to this, these, these are, these are helpful. God's specific plans or strategy for us to face overwhelming odds by faith and win came last. When do we want them to come? What's the opposite of last? First. We, we don't want to go through all this stuff. I want the answer, I want, and I want it now. But look what God put before the answer. Um, Dealing with sin, praying, remembering God's past acts of faithfulness, trusting in in faith, in the care and power of God, tearing down any idols, anything that comes between, uh, that replaces the authority of God with a humanly devised substitute, asking for a pledge of assurance through specific circumstances and timing, depending on God's strength, not our own, submitting to God's strategy strategy and plans and not our own. That's what comes first. The plans came last. So just remember, listen closely here, you guys. God has a program for you. He's dealing with you in a wonderful but individual way to grow and deepen you and show you and I how to apply this to our lives so we mature, and then when the time is right in each individual situation, he'll give us the strategy. But this stuff has to come first. And you say, well, I don't like that. And I would say, well, then don't expect to deal with your odds in a godly and fruitful manner. Okay, number two. God's plans sometimes seem really silly or simple or slow. You know, jar sticks, trumpets. But if followed correctly and obediently, God will give us the victory. And that's where faith comes in. Because, you know, all the stuff that I deal with, I was talking to you about my Frady Cat stuff, it never gets resolved the way I think it's going to get resolved. It's always, God always puts a wrinkle into it. Expect wrinkles. Expect God to come up behind you and tap you on the shoulder and surprise you a little bit. Because if you're sitting here going, this is how God's going to do it, I guarantee you it won't. But it will be done. So let him give you sticks, jars, and trumpets. Number three, this is interesting. Note that Gideon and his men carried absolutely no weapons. No weapons. A stick, jar, and trumpet is not a weapon. Did you ever try to shoot somebody with a trumpet yeah you you can't do it you can't shoot a stick God did it he did all of it what did we do faith faith that's what we have to exercise faith it wasn't self-reliance or self-sufficiency but supernatural strategy and power the battle belongs to the Lord not us no weapons 
Don't go into your odds with weapons. Let God pull it off. And then finally, I love this part. This is the last part, I guarantee you. The story of Gideon started with a wine press full of fear, didn't it? Where was Gideon at the beginning of the story? He was down in a wine press. He was scared to death of the Midians. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. It doesn't work. You got to be out on a flat surface in the wind so that it can blow you, as you throw it up, the chaff goes, the grain stays. He's a scaredy cat in a wine press. But look what happens in verse 25. You just got to love it. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the wine press of Zeb. So they went from fear and failure and, and just frustration to victory in a wine press. From a wine press of fear to a wine press full of victory. And, the, and the, the, the point here is this. When we face difficult odds, God can turn things around. Even when the odds seem overwhelming, God can overwhelm the odds. Okay, and that's what happened with Gideon. And I just want to say this before we pray. If you're, if you're facing difficult odds and you want to win, take a lesson from Gideon and trust in faith the one who can work it out for you the loving, caring, all-powerful God of the Bible, just hand it over to him and watch him work in marvelous ways and experience growth in your faith that you never had before. I hope you'll do that. Let's, let's pray together. Father, I don't know who came in here this morning with a difficulty, but um, probably most, if not all of us, have something in our lives that we're we're wishing could be resolved and cleared up or we could get an answer to. And Father, you specialize in those things. It doesn't mean we'll never have trials and it doesn't mean everything will happen just the way and time we want. But Lord, you've shown us that victory over overwhelming impossible or difficult odds is a very, very real promise and possibility with you. But we have our part to do and we've heard it. Help us not to ignore it or forget it, but to apply it and watch you do things that, that we couldn't have conceived would happen. I pray for her. I pray for him here right now. It's saying, oh, Mitch, if you only knew. And I say, I don't have to know, Lord. You know. And may they be a Gideon today and do what he did and experience you in a profound and meaningful manner, way in your time and way, and your shape for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. Stay healthy. I want to see your faces next week. And uh, God bless you as you leave. <laughs>